Good morning once again, everybody. My name is Alan. Good to have you with us. Hope you're having a super Sunday so far. And I wanted to invite you to uh, pray with me as we head into the message here today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we do crown you Lord of all, um, of all the things that we uh, that, that are in competition for our attention, for our affection. God, right now, we just want to say you, you are the king. You are the one over all. And any distractions we bring into this room, any, any things, anything that will cause us to not hear from you or experience you or see you, God, we ask that those would just go away. This is one hour where we just want to spend time with you. We want to hear from you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to uh, let you know as a heads up, uh, before I uh, jump into the message, at the end of the message, I'm going to be making an announcement. And so I just ask, for those of you here, you're stuck. You don't, you, don't, you don't have much of an option. Although, during the closing prayer, I'm going to peek just to make sure. For those of you at home, just don't, don't shut it off until uh, I'll uh, have an announcement to make at the end. But uh, let me jump into the message. Last week, I started a new series called What's in a Name? And... Uh, so this is part two of that uh, series. And the idea with this, with this series is we're looking at names of Jesus in the New Testament that have roots in the Old Testament. So we know that, uh, that, that a young couple gave birth to a baby and the baby's name was Jesus. But in the New Testament, there are other names for Jesus and they have deep, significant meanings. Last week, we looked at the name Lamb of God which is what John the Baptist said. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. And that doesn't make any sense unless we dig into the Old Testament to find out what it meant. And it was very much connected to the idea of sacrifice, that, that animals were sacrificed, that, that sin was taken from human beings, transferred to an animal, and that animal was either sacrificed or was, uh, was sent off. And so the whole idea with Jesus is that our sin, our brokenness, our blackness is taken and put onto Jesus who died on the cross as the Lamb of God. So last week I talked about the Lamb, and this morning it seems appropriate on this day to talk about the goat, as in Tom Brady. The greatest of all time, the goat. Okay, so so let me. I know that some of you don't give a rip about the Super Bowl and, and, and all that, and and just, but Tom Brady, just just for those of you who may not know, he's a quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and who doesn't know that? But but this guy, he's forty three years old. I mean, I am almost as old as that. Okay, just kidding. I'm, I'm, but forty three years old, and he's still playing professional football. The best, the best. You know, one of the best players in the league still after playing for. 20 years. The guy's been in nine different Super Bowls, which is a record, and has won six Super Bowls. Say what you will about the guy. He is, he's remarkable, and he's won his six Super Bowls with the same team, the New England Patriots, until last year when he was traded and he chose to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who haven't even made the playoffs in 13 years, and now they're in the big game this afternoon. It's remarkable. It's really an, an incredible uh, story. Now, I, it's hard to imagine that the Buccaneers have a chance against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. It's hard to imagine that. But if anybody could do it, it would be Tom Brady, the GOAT, the, ah, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Now, now I, I won't be spending all of our time talking about football here today. Uh, what I actually want to talk about is, is credit. 
I want to talk about credit. Last week we talked about blame. Blame gets transferred from humans to animals, and that was the whole sacrifice deal, the Lamb of God. Today I want to talk about a name of Jesus that is connected to credit. How much credit is Tom Brady, here I am going back into football, how much credit is Tom Brady getting this year for the success of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Quite a bit, pretty much a lot, I would say, right? I mean, he's gone to the team, and now look where they are here this afternoon. Tremendous amount of credit, well-deserved uh, uh, credit here, here in this story. And then in the game today, when it's over, somebody will be identified as the MVP of the game. In other words, they'll be identified as the person who gets the most credit for the victory this afternoon. Now, how well... Do you handle credit? How, how much, when things go well in your life, how much are you inclined to take credit? To, how much do you enjoy credit? How much do you want it? How much do you look for it, long for it? What's the role of, of your desire for credit in your life? Now, I'm not talking about you getting credit versus somebody else getting credit and the humility that comes in sometimes where we have to share credit and all that. That's a whole other topic, very relevant. All of us run into that on a regular basis. That's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is you getting credit versus God getting credit. What I'm talking about is and things in your life where, where, where we have to decide, am, am I giving God credit for this or am I taking credit for this? When things go well in your life, how much credit do you take? Do you tend to take? Now, let me tell you the, the name for Jesus that I'm connecting that with here and, and why. So, again, this series is about taking New Testament names and connecting them with an Old Testament story. And as it, uh, as, as it says in your program, is that the name we're looking at today is the Savior, Jesus is the Savior. And so we're going to look at, at what that means and how that, essentially what that means is that, is that we are to give Jesus credit for the one who saves us, as the one who saves us. Now, in the New Testament, it starts off with four versions of the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is a physician, and he very much liked the idea of Jesus as Savior. He talked about Jesus as Savior uh, multiple times. First time he mentions it is in Luke chapter 2, which is the Christmas story. Every year here, we are going to read something from Luke chapter 2. It's the most complete and familiar versions of the story of Jesus' birth. So if you have your Bible, or if you'd like to, to join with me, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2 where we famously find the story of the shepherds, meet, of, of the angels, Meeting the shepherds, going up to the shepherds and saying in verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now there are actually multiple names of Jesus here in this one verse. Messiah, Lord, and you know, we'll, but today we're looking at the word Savior. That Luke chose to, chose to tell this story and, 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 and from his journey of of uh, trying to capture this story accurately, the angel said to the shepherds, a Savior has been born. And the word Savior is, is the same word. It's very much connected to the word salvation. We talked about, you know, we talk about uh, 
the salvation journey for those who choose to follow Christ. You may have a bumper sticker or know somebody who had a bumper sticker that says Jesus saves. It's the same word. It's the idea of Jesus being a savior as Luke walked out here in chapter 2. In chapter 19, Luke tells the story of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Jesus has an encounter with Zacchaeus. And uh, at the end of that story, Luke chapter 19 Jesus says this, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, Zacchaeus, too is a son of Abraham. That's the story I looked at last Sunday. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There is a, there is a, a, a driver in Luke's message here that Jesus is the Savior. He came to save the lost. Any Jewish person who would have heard that story in this way or would have read Luke's version of the story would immediately jump to the central story from the Old Testament. Again, the Old Testament is the first two-thirds of the Bible. It's the whole story that sets up the story of Jesus. And there is one central story in the Old Testament, a story that is referred to over and over again by writers in the Old Testament itself, and in the New Testament. It is the story of God saving the, Israelite, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It is the story of the Exodus. And you, you are very familiar with this story, maybe not with the words I have used yet, but I'm going to remind you of this story. It's a grand, epic story, and it is the central story in the Old Testament. God saving the people from slavery. So, it's called, it's, you know, it can be referred to as the Exodus story. The second book in the Old Testament is called the Exodus because it starts off with the Exodus story. See how it makes sense? It all just fits together, right? Okay, so just as a recap for the Exodus story, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, of, the, of Jewish people. He's referred to as Father Abraham. It all started with Abraham, which is why the story we looked at last week was so significant. How could, be the, how could he be the father of many nations if his one and only son was going to be sacrificed? And so that was the significance of last week's uh, uh, story that we looked at. Abraham did not have to sacrifice his son Isaac. Isaac then had children who had children, and they grew to be a strong and a family with many people with uh, many members. There ended up being a famine in the region that they were living in, and they needed to leave and go to Egypt in order to find food. They did not go to Egypt to be slaves. It was never their intention to go to Egypt and enter into slavery. They went, and it was a good story at the beginning. They went, and they, they connected with uh, some leaders there, and they were able to be provided for and survive. They went to Egypt for food. And then they were there for over 400 years, and they grew in number, and they grew in strength. And the pharaohs, the leaders in Egypt, became a little intimidated by this massive, strong group of Jewish people. And so they turned them into slaves and used the Israelites, or Jewish people, to build the cities in Egypt. So 
400 plus years later, God enters in and uses Moses as a conduit to save the, the people. And so Moses has this famous encounter with the burning bush, and that was the message from God to Moses that God was going to use him for this purpose. Exodus chapter 3 is where we find that story. I just find it so interesting. Uh, Mo, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 3, uh, uh, Moses sees the bush on fire and, and says, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I, just, I don't think that's how I would respond. If there was this miraculous burning bush that was not being consumed, that was talking to me. Moses must have been a pretty calm dude. You jump down to verse 7 and you get uh, more of a picture of what God's intention was with this whole story. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, to save them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses responds to this calling from the burning bush. And he goes back to the Pharaoh, back to the the leader of, of the Egyptians. And God demonstrates his power through ten plagues. And these are the plagues of the frogs and the gnats and the boils and hail. Just one plague after another in order to to show the Egyptian leaders that that God is the one true God and demonstrate God's power. But the Pharaoh did not move, did not release the Israelite people until the tenth and final plague where the angel went over the region of Egypt and killed the firstborn of every family that was not protected by God. And the Pharaoh's son was one of those who was killed, and so the Pharaoh finally released the people. It was the angel passing over the region. That's why the Passover is called the Passover and why it it is the central celebration in the Jewish story. It is that God saved the people from slavery in Egypt. It is, it is the central story. They, they leave, they finally come out of Egypt and, and thousands and thousands of people are moving uh, into the desert and they end up crossing the Red Sea and this is the famous story of the Red Sea parting and the Israelites go across the sea and the Egyptians foolishly uh, change their mind and start chasing them. They go into the Red Sea and then the waters cave in on, on all the, uh, the, uh, the Egyptians. It's just a great story. Very, very cool story. That's the Exodus story. It's the Passover story. It's the story of God saving God's people from slavery in Egypt. It is the central story in the entire Old Testament. Okay, that's the story we're looking at and pulling from and drawing from. And here's here's the main idea here today. The idea that hopefully will connect the name of Jesus in the New Testament with this profound story in the Old Testament. It's this. If you believe that you are who you are because of your own strength, then you don't need a Savior. If you are who you are, you have reached a level of success, 
you have reached a level of financial security, whatever. If you believe you are who you are because of your own strength, then you don't have a need for Jesus. The point of the Exodus story is that the Israelites, after hundreds of years of slavery, could not free themselves. They could not take care of it based on their own strength. And Moses was not strong enough to take care of it either. There's a part of the story I skipped over when Moses was younger, and he tried to take care of it on his own. He saw a Hebrew, an Israelite getting beaten by an Egyptian, and Moses looked to the right and to the left and went over and killed the Egyptian and then buried him in the sand to see if he could get away with this. And what happened, it was, it was a disaster. It was a terrible move. It was Moses trying to take care of it on his own. He killed one Egyptian. What is he going to do? Take him out one at a time? This is not going to have any impact on the thousands and thousands of Jewish people who were in slavery. It was not Moses who saved the people from slavery in Egypt. It was the Lord. And this is what all the writers, when they reflect back on that story, to say, it was the Lord. It was the Lord. God is the one who gets the credit for that. Not Moses, not the Israelites. Let me give you an example. Isaiah is a prophet still in the Old Testament. But he wrote many years after the Exodus story. He reflected on it, wrote back on it. And he said this real simply, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 10. He says, was it not you, Lord, who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? This is just one of many verses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament saying, God gets all the credit. It was not the Israelites who saved themselves. It was not Moses who saved the Israelites. It was God who did it. God is the one who saves. God is the Savior. God is the one who deserves all the credit. If you believe you are who you are because of your own strength, then you don't need a Savior. You don't need Jesus because Jesus is the Savior. If, if you can reflect on, think back to a moment of transformation in your life, anything, any, any season in your life, you look at, at some major transformation that happened in you, for you, and if you look back on that and you just think you take all the credit for that, then, then that's you saying, I don't need a Savior. Are you the one who restored your marriage? Are you the one? So at some point, your marriage was this close to falling apart. Are you the one that brought salvation to your marriage? Are you the one who pulled yourself out of depression some time ago, months ago, years ago? Are you the one who did that? Are you the one who stopped generational dysfunction? that you noticed as you were getting older that there was something that was dysfunctional about your parents and you look back and it was dysfunctional about their parents and you said, it stops now. It stops with me. It stops with our generation. Are you the one to take credit for that? Are you the one who had the strength, who had the power, who had the perseverance to make that happen? Now, if the answer is yes, 
I'm not slamming you for that. I'm not slamming because it's human nature. It's natural for us to say, yes, I'm the one who did the work. I'm the one who focused on it. It's natural for us to do that. But, but here's, here's the danger of that. When we embrace moments in our lives where we experience transformation, where we, where we experience these, these glorious changes in our lives, if we take the credit for that, that leads us down a road where, where we run into a new pit, a new problem, a, a deeper hole. We run the risk of getting inside that hole and saying, I can do this. I can pull myself out. I can save myself. I don't need anyone. I don't need any God to help me. We also run the risk of heading into eternity, of, of approaching the end of our lives, whenever that might be, and believing, I can do this. I can stand before God, and I can defend myself. I can prove to God that they were wrong and I was right and I was good enough. We run the risk of saying, I can save myself. And this is a very dangerous position, especially when Jesus says, I'm the Savior. When there is a Savior available to us. Maybe you're in Egypt right now. Maybe you're in your version of Egypt. You are in bondage. You are in slavery. And just like the Israelites, you, you, you didn't intend to be in slavery. You didn't go there for the purpose of being a slave. You entered into something and, and somehow you're in a situation now where, how, how did this happen? And I'm in a situation where I can't get out. I'm in slavery and I, I can't get out of there. Maybe you're in Egypt. Maybe it has to do with a bad habit in your life that you don't like to talk about. Maybe it has to do with a bad relationship and you feel stuck. Maybe it has to do with a situation with a friend or a situation at work. Maybe it has to do with, with technology, with your phone, with your computer, with Netflix. Maybe it has to do with COVID, that over this past year, you, you, you were forced into a situation where you, have, where you now find yourself being more lazy and more dysfunctional than you, than, you, than you would have been if that COVID hadn't kicked in. And it has an effect on your education. It has an effect on your plans for your future. It has an effect on how you wake up and handle your days. And you, here now you are in Egypt. You're in bondage. You didn't plan to be there, but you're stuck and you can't get out. And so you and I have the decision when we're in Egypt to say, do I get out of this based on my own strength? Do I get out of this? Because if I, if I just twist hard enough, I can do it. I can figure it out. I can fix it. I can do it. And then I want to have the credit. Or do we understand how, how God has set this story up for us to say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior. We, we don't say Jesus saves because, because uh, we're so much weaker than others. We say Jesus saves because Jesus is so much stronger. And so we release and we say, Jesus, I give you all the credit. I want freedom. I don't want credit. Tom Brady, 
has been referred to over the years by writers of articles as the savior, the savior of certain seasons for New England, the savior of certain Super Bowls. He has certainly been referred to that in terms of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And maybe in terms of football, uh, uh, if there's anybody who could be referred to as a savior, it could be Tom Brady. I mean, it's just an amazing, incredible story. But let me, let me tell you, God cares way more about you than he does Super Bowl 55. Now, that might come as a shock to you because we spend millions and millions of dollars so that these players can run around. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes makes $50 million a year. And that's just one player. So they can run around with a ball that is shaped weird. It doesn't even bounce. You can't even bounce the ball. And so they, they compete, fight for this ball to try to get that ball to go across the line so they can get six points. And that is in competition with the other team trying to get six points over there. And they go back and forth. And who's going to get more points. Believe it or not, God is more interested in you than in the game this afternoon. <laughs> he is so much more interested in, in your heart, in your eternity, in you being saved. That's what God wants to save. That's what God wants to fight for. He loves you and he waits for you to call him Savior. Because we can just walk around and say, I'm going to save myself. It's my own strength. I want the credit. I want people around me to say, look how strong she was, he was. Look what he did to get himself, herself out of that situation. Wow. We give that person so much credit. Either we can play that game or we can say, Jesus, you are my Savior. You are the one who rescues me. You are the one who deserves and will get all the credit. That's our choice. Jesus is the Savior. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that that word just, just lands deeply here in this room today. And for those who are listening, those who are watching, that the word Savior would just sink into a deeper place, that we would not dismiss that word, but that we would understand you came to save us. You don't force yourself upon us. You offer yourself to us. I pray for any listening to this now who are understanding this for the first time, understanding that it, it is us calling you Savior that is part of this journey of saying, I am a follower of Jesus because I believe he is the savior of my soul, of my life, of my heart, of my eternity. Father, I also pray for any who can hear this to also just be reminded that if we have drifted, if we have floated, if we have started to think, you know what, I'm getting stronger and stronger and maybe I am strong enough to take the credit to save myself. God, that you would protect us from drifting from the gift that you give us, the gift of salvation, the strength, the grace of salvation. I pray that we would embrace that in a deep way today. Amen. Now, if you're online, please don't shut it down. I said at the beginning I had an announcement. In football terms, this is kind of like overtime. This is like extra. It's, it's an extra. 
piece here. Here at the church, uh, we have a board. It's referred to as the Board of Servant Leaders, and that is the group that I am accountable to. Everybody has to be accountable to somebody, and so I am accountable to a group called the Board of Servant Leaders. And uh, for the past year or so, over a year, the board and I have been on a journey to address some uh, leadership issues here at your church, here at Mountain Park. Now, let me just start by saying I have no plans of leaving. I have no plans of going anywhere. And the board has, it has never been the board's intention to remove me from the opportunity to serve here as a pastor. But uh, the board has felt that some of these, uh, that some aspects of my role as senior pastor need to be addressed. So let me give you an example. Over the, over the past few years, there have been, uh, this is an example. Over the past few years, there have been uh, some uh, significant staff turnover, of staff who've come and gone, and, and that's hard. That's hard for a church. It's hard for the staff. It's hard for those who are departing. It's hard for those who are remaining. And it's hard for you because you get to know staff, and you love them, and you know they love you, and it's difficult to manage that transition. With any staff transition, for those of you who are in management or whatever, with any staff transition, there are multiple factors involved with that. Um, But ultimately, the responsibility lands on the senior leader, which is me. Now, I want to be clear that there, there is no scandal, there is no dark secret, there is no moral failure on my part. One could simply say that I have a style of leadership that has a very high standard for excellence, and that at times I focus on the product more than on the person. So the board has um, uh, decided to make some changes in my responsibilities here in order to accentuate my strengths and to address some of these concerns. So I have teamed up with the board Uh, in landing on a plan to transition me out of the role of senior pastor here and into a new role of teaching pastor, which will allow me to continue to do what I love to do the most, and that is continue to teach here on Sunday morning with you. Again, I have no plans of going anywhere, but I want to make sure that you are aware of this. And for some of you, you might, okay, fine. But if you uh, would like more information on this, if you would like, if you have questions, if you would like to learn more about what this is, it's your church. It's your, I'm, 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 I'm a pastor here at your church. It's our church. And so uh, the board and I are going to be open this Thursday at 7 p.m. for an open Q&A for you to come and ask any questions to learn more about uh, what's going on here if you would like to do that. One of the questions, perhaps the first question that might uh, come up is what happens now to the open role of senior pastor here at Mountain Park Church? Uh, I have had the pleasure of serving with Jan Van Amerongen uh, here for over four years. He's currently the executive pastor and he is a man of tremendous character. And the board has asked Jan to step in as the interim senior pastor while we figure out what next steps are. So, again, if you would like to 
learn more or have any questions, my email is up there. The board's email is up on the screen. And, uh, and uh, there is a meeting this Thursday at 7 p.m. for you to come. We're going to meet in the great rooms and just kind of, it's, it's your church. So we're just going to meet and kind of talk about it and see what happens uh, from there. Um, uh, DeAndre and Greg are going to come out and lead us just in one final chorus uh, before we head out. And then I, I hope that you have a terrific day today and enjoy the big game. God bless you guys.